The reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, and it can be found on page 966 of your Bibles and your seats. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, that I too may go and worship him. This is the word of the Lord. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Now, I'm sure amongst many of us here, there have been some wise men in nativity plays growing up. I'm sure many of us here are familiar with this story, with this narrative. I myself have been thinking about this, pondering for quite some time, and realized even growing up, I had many misconceptions. For instance, three wise men or three kings from a place called Orientar. I know, it took me a long, long time to realize that, so I'll start by admitting that. But this isn't actually a story about Magi from the East, wise men or kings traveling a great distance to bring gifts to the Messiah. We've got a gospel here written by a man called Matthew, a Jewish man, who's traveled with Jesus, who's known him, who's been his disciple. And in opening his gospel, in starting this story that we've been going through on our third week of this now, he does some things that no other gospel does. This is the one that includes the king's narrative. It starts, as we heard two weeks ago, brilliantly read out by Simon and fantastically unpacked by George, that genealogy, highlighting the fulfillment of scriptures, highlighting of the man who is to come out of Israel to bring redemption for the whole world. And in that we heard that God will use anyone regardless of their flaws. And then last week we had the story of Joseph, a man whose life was turned upside down, who's ready to marry his beloved Mary to find out that she's pregnant to be visited by an angel who promises this is actually meant to happen. And there's a fulfillment in there as well, not only in the Old Testament prophecies, but for Joseph too. He has faith that what he's heard in a dream is true. And we'll see some of that fulfillment this evening as we go through the passage. The thing is, though, Matthew really is painstakingly highlighting these areas. It's one of the main themes that goes throughout his gospel. You can almost think of chapters one and two as a prologue to the rest of it. You need to understand this to get the whole picture. So what he does is he starts just by telling us very briefly Jesus was born. 
That's it. Jesus was born. The more important things are around where he's born. Now, at that time, we have a man called King Herod. I'll touch on him and explore his character in a moment. But first, the Magi from the East. What has drawn them there? There are two particular Old Testament readings that we need to be highlighting here to understand why these men or entourage of people have traveled so far. And it's likely that this journey has taken a long time, many months, possibly a year. Some people estimate that by the time of the Magi's arrival, Jesus would be one and a half to two years old. Now, these men are, we're not, not sure where from, somewhere to the east of Jerusalem. If we look back through the history of Israel in our Bible, we'll find times where Israel is taken away from Jerusalem, from its promised land. We call this the period of exile, the time where Israel is taken into exile. They are conquered by the Babylonians. They are made slaves again. They are taken to a foreign land. But in that time, the scriptures they have are treasured and held onto. The promises God has made them through the prophets are still there. And through that time, the peoples who have conquered them learn of these prophecies, learn of these scriptures. This group of astrologers, wise men, dignitaries, whichever titles we wish to give them, have traveled in the knowledge from the Old Testament. And there's one particular passage in Numbers 24 that highlights the star. This is what it says. This is from verse 17, if you are following it. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will go strong. Now, the important parts of that, obviously the star rising out of Israel. How did they know to follow this star? This star that rose in the east, this star that they then realize is a sign of this coming Messiah. Generations had passed for these wise men, for these dignitaries, for these magi. And their people must have held on to these scriptures from Israel for them to know this, for them to recognize the sign that God is coming. They've treasured these scriptures. I was reading this story last night to my son. We've got a little book of Bible stories that's designed for uh, children. And in that, it's got this wonderful depiction of the the wise men, as it calls them in the book, jumping for joy and dancing because they've seen the star that people have been waiting for for so long. Can you believe it? It's us who get to go. It's us. We've seen it. We can go and meet the king. And the journey starts. That prophecy also has some other connotations. If you turn back to Genesis, right at the end of Genesis, you've got Jacob blessing his family. And he too says, A scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. You see, this prophecy has gone right through the entirety of the Old Testament. Right the way through, there's been the promise of a saviour who will come. 
And one of the signs of that coming is this star. Now we can assume that these wise men have a knowledge of at least some of the Old Testament, and it is an in-depth knowledge. It would be the part of the Old Testament that has traveled with Israel in exile and has remained there amongst the people. Other peoples began to adopt Judaism as their religion at this time, in the exile. They identified themselves. They saw the wonders of the Israelite God and worshipped. It's the first point where we see that God is a God for all the nations who will reveal himself through Israel rather than a God just for Israel. So that's our first glimpse of fulfillment these wise men are looking for. And as they travel, they come to the place which is most obvious to find the king of the Jews. They travel to Jerusalem. Now picture for a moment, I'm sure you've been on long journeys before. How many of you have ever gone the wrong way? I'm really glad it's not just me. Sometimes journeys go wrong. Sometimes things come up along the way that distract us, that make us not want to continue them. Even myself, I had an awful journey back from church today where I got on the bus that didn't actually stop in the town I live in. I had to go all the way to Bishop's Waltham and come back with a screaming toddler. Whoever went, oh, thank you. There are other journeys that are longer, more important ones. I remember when I worked in Turkey, I needed to travel to Greece for my next place of work. I ended up arriving two days late because we'd gotten the ferry times wrong. Sometimes there's a difficulty in language as well. Now, I want you to picture for a moment that you've been traveling with a group of people for a long time. You've been traveling with smelly camels, largely at nighttime to try and find this star. That this journey has taken months and months, and that excitement of nearing Jerusalem, look, we're almost here. We're going to go, we're going to worship the one who is prophesied to come. We will be fulfilled in our journey. And they knock on the door and they get into the palace. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? There's no baby here. What do you mean? What are you talking about? That utter sense of confusion. You've had this long journey. That excitement is building. And that moment of complete deflation. What do you mean he's not here? What do you mean we've got the wrong address? What do you mean this isn't where we would find the one who is going to be born the Messiah? And this is where we can see a gap in the knowledge of these magi, these wise men. They don't know about this other prophecy. You see, Herod hears this, and he doesn't know it either. So he gathers the people who do. He gathers the religious leaders. Where is the one who is to be born? Where is the Messiah to be born? And they all point to this passage in Micah. Matthew painstakingly quotes this one rather than the others because he assumes the knowledge of all those who've come before, of all those he's writing for. And the wise men have to be told, no, he's in Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem, just under two hours walking south. You're in the wrong place. And so they go. Herod 
secretly asks them. We can see it in here. Matthew painstakingly points out, verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly. Here's the point where we need to know he's up to no good. You see, the Magi have traveled all this distance, painstakingly given their time over to come and meet this king who is prophesied. And they know some of his character, of what he is to be like. The righteous king, the judge who will be fair to all nations, the ruler of the entire world. The characteristics of God are laid out at points in the Old Testament as well. They are expecting to find this amazing ruler, and they end up in Herod's palace. Now, if you're not aware of what Herod was like, um, an understatement would be to say he was a very naughty boy. Herod, I've been thinking of ways of comparing him. He wasn't nice at all. Herod got to power. He became, he was actually dubbed king of the Jews. He came into power because his father was friends with someone called Julius. And from there, his power grew. You see, Julius was Julius Caesar. Herod's father was friends with Julius Caesar. Herod got power and a taste for it and saw he could grow it. Herod became good friends with Mark Antony after Caesar's death. He went to battle with Mark Antony. He was recognized by the Senate of Rome and called King of the Jews by them. Now, all of this sounds fine at the moment, but here's also what Herod did. He skimmed the taxes off the people of Israel to give to the Romans to buy his honors. He also had a lavish lifestyle whilst people were suffering underneath his rule. To top it all off, he also did many things to maintain his power by getting rid of opposition. If you had to imagine fictional characters who were a bit like Herod, perhaps we could think of, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the stewards of Gondor. They're there to wait and protect the city until the right king comes. That should be Herod's job. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll know the stewards of Gondor don't give up their title easily. But that doesn't really do enough justice. Herod, an illegitimate king of the Jews, being an Edomite, is also a bit more like Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones. He's pretty nasty. He's illegitimate and he knows it. Herod's also a wily politician. He knows how to play the game. He's a bit more Frank Underwood from House of Cards. Now, to back up these things, here's also what Herod did. He wanted a political marriage to gain more power and so he exiled his first wife and son to another country. That's not the sort of thing that these magi are looking for in the king that they're expecting to see, in the king that fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. Further to that, he had members of his own family executed to maintain his power. He had another one of his wives beheaded. Herod is horrible. So to turn up after this long journey, expecting to find this amazing king that's prophesied to come who will bring righteousness to the entire world, 
and to find yourself in Herod's palace. I can imagine that's a bit of a letdown. I can imagine the moment of going, I'm really glad actually we've got the wrong address. I'm really glad we need to go two hours down the road and find the real king of the Jews. You see, the king of the Jews, the real one, is Jesus. And his character is shown not just through the New Testament and the letters that we get. It's actually shown throughout the Old Testament. We get little glimpses of who this king is going to be. We've got a video to show in just a moment. And to be honest, this preacher puts it into words much better than I can. He's called Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Unfortunately, has passed away. I'm just looking up to make sure Richard's ready to go. Fantastic. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Terror couldn't kill him, death couldn't 
That's the king who has prophesied to come. Hallelujah, yeah. <laughs> That's the king that they've, the, the wise men have come looking for. That's the king revealed in the Old and the New Testament. That's my king. And that's the king that Herod feared. Because he knew that his kingship was one that was built up to make his legacy last. He would do so by building buildings. As an Edomite, he was adopted into Judaism. He was given this title by people who had no right to give it. And he feared the true king. The wise men recognized he who is the savior. They were led to him by God. They came and bowed and worshipped him. The whole purpose of their long, painstaking journey was to come and meet Jesus. I'm sure many of you would identify yourselves as being a Christian, of knowing Christ and having a relationship with him. He is the Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And we know him because he is revealed to us through the entirety of scriptures. You see, the Magi, they, they've probably got about this much of the Bible. They're missing the rest of it. We, on the other hand, have got it in its entirety. That we can know Jesus, that we can study God's word given to us, to know him more, to be in relationship with him, for him to put us right. For those of you who don't identify yourselves as Christians tonight, I would implore you, if he is not your king, let him be. If he is not your savior, invite him to be. Because the magi, the wise men, the royal dignitaries, whatever we call them, this group of people from the east, have modeled to us what it is to come before the right king. They haven't stopped along the way. They haven't got distracted or turned back. They have followed through because they believed in what was written. Because they believed that the God who gave them the scriptures would fulfill those scriptures. And that is the same God today who fulfills the promises he has made. The promises made at the end of Matthew's gospel say that he will come again. That he will send us forward to make disciples of all nations. That this gospel, this good news, this king of kings is for all peoples. And our God is a fulfiller of promises. And he invites you to be part of that fulfillment. Of knowing Jesus and representing him to those who do not yet know him. I would encourage you over this Advent season, ensure you do know the true King of the Jews, the true King of Kings. And as hard as it can be, 
to introduce him to those around you. Family, friends, colleagues, neighbours. Because not only did he want to know you and reach out to you, he wants to know everyone. It's also why Matthew includes this narrative. These wise men coming from the east, these people who were Gentiles, who had nothing to do with Judaism, and he puts it right at the front of a gospel designed for Jewish readers. Remember, this is the king of everyone. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent us your son. We thank you that it's been painstakingly recorded for us to know the fulfillment of your word through this, the fulfillment of your promises in the lives of many. We thank you for the example given us by these wise men. And we pray that we too would study your word, that we would, hate, we would worship you as our king and accept you as our saviour. Amen.